You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 165, Steve Bremner and God Outside the Box. This one gets wild. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Uh, I can't wait to share this episode with you. Of course, I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I'm glad that you are here. So today, our guest, he is an author, a sometime podcaster, and Supreme Galactic Emperor. I'll ask him about that. He is Steve Bremner. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. I'm glad that you're yeah, here. And for, address, yeah, and for addressing me by my correct name. Um, Do people get it wrong? Uh, I've never asked anyone uh, to call me that before. It's the first time <laughs> on the form for podcast. Well, yeah. So just friends, what I'm letting you in on there is uh, I have a little form that podcast guests fill out so that I can collect all their information and uh, be ready, not have to send them a million emails later, learn that one the hard way. And uh, Steve, I said, how would you like me to address you or introduce you? And he said, Supreme Galactic Emperor. So uh, you've got a sense of humor, which will be fun to, uh, to, to talk about as we go forward. So Steve, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and where you are now? Okay. So that sounds like a simple question, but it's actually pretty daunting for me. Um, okay. I've, I've been here, like to, to specific, specifically answer where I'm at now. So I've been here in Peru for the last 10 years, uh, more than 10. And, you know, what I find myself doing now is a lot different than, than whatever vision I had, whatever I was doing when I first came here as a single man uh, at the end of my 20s uh, in the beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, now, now a lot of my focus is, is more on the tent making aspect of funding my ministry than it is the ministry itself, it seems, uh, you know, and the main thing I'm, I'm giving a lot of my attention and time to has to do with helping, uh, you know, authors write their books or, you know, busy entrepreneurs or thought leaders of some kind who are looking for expert status, you know, that a book can bring them, uh, you know, as well as other people like pastors or people who have a impacting message. So a lot of what I'm doing is really through that lens right now. Uh, but we're still down here in Peru. We're still a part of our organic missional community, organic church, whatever, you know, the buzzwords are uh, called Oikos. And, uh, you know, my wife and I are still involved in that just on a smaller scale. And we've been a part of it for seven years, almost. Yeah, it's got to be about seven years now. And so I don't know whether to call what I'm doing now a sabbatical or not, but um, that's where I'm at now. Awesome. That's great. So how you got there will be an interesting story, I think. So I can't wait, okay. can't wait to hear it. So let's go back a little bit. Uh, where are you from? So you're in Peru now, which I think is, is cool. I love the fact that we can, through technology, not only meet, but also have this conversation. Um, that's fantastic. But where'd you grow up? I grew up in this small town, you've never heard of it, Ontario, called Peterborough. And uh, it's in the middle of like cottage country. All sorts of hockey players come from where I grew up. And uh, yeah, I, I lived a very sheltered life. Didn't really visit or live anywhere else other than that city. 
what was your family like? Was it a Christian family? Was it not? I mean, how did you kind of find life in Christ? Well, I went to church on Sundays. That's true. Uh, I would say like my family were, were more of the, like the nominal uh, faith. My parents would take my brother and I to church every Sunday. We were in Sunday school and stuff. Uh, and then when I was old enough, I was obligated to go to youth group on Friday nights and stuff. Um, you know, my dad, you know, I don't think he's so much following, you know, now, but my mom, she's always been a faithful uh, believer. And then sometime when I was like 15, I really gave my life to Christ for real. Well, uh, well no, so no, tell no. us that story. Like what happened? <laughs> um, I don't remember the exact details. I, I just know, okay, this is it. Like whatever I was doing before was not the real thing. And when I, so I was around 15 and I, I had whatever, you know, issues. I had uh, um, insecurity and self uh, esteem issues and whatever. And so there was this day or week where I was rushing home from doing, delivering my newspapers and I decided, okay, I, I'm done with like horoscopes and other things that like I want some kind of answers from and be able to kind of predict the future or see what's coming tomorrow or next week or whatever in my life. And, oh, these Christians, they seem to be pretty happy people. And, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll read the Bible and maybe God will do for me what I want or something. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I started like uh, just grab – I grabbed my Bible one night this was in the middle of March, 1997. And it was on like spring break or March break, depending on which country you're using. And um, I opened in the middle of somewhere in the Psalms and I read to the end. And then I read like Proverbs and then went back to like the beginning of Psalms or something. Uh, or if I, if I didn't read Proverbs, I can't remember, but I, I spent like five hours doing that. I, I read like all the Psalms from where, the point I started at to the end and then went back to the beginning up to where I'd read from. And I was like, wow, this is, this is not a boring book at all. This is amazing. Or, um, you know, whatever life it was, I was getting out of it. So I kept like doing that. I would just open up something, uh, you know, it could be a gospel. It could be some random book. You know, I didn't know in those days how to read the Bible. So I would just open it to things. Right. And I was just, I was just loving it. And, um, so somewhere in there I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give myself to this for, for real, not just like a, insurance policy to get out of hell or something. Right. And um, so that's kind of like, I don't have this kind of, Oh, you know, I was trembling at the altar and weeping my soul out. And uh, it was just this, this odd thing like that. Like I'd been around the gospel a lot already for years, but I know that I know that I know I had no commitment whatsoever to Christ until like, until 15, until that happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden it clicked. It sounds like. Yeah. You could say it that way if you want. It clicked when I was 15. There you go. Yeah, that's good. I I don't know. I, I think of it as kind of a continuum. You know, we, we sort of are moving closer to God and then there's a there's a point at which we, we kind of realize where, where we're headed. And so it sounds like that was for you uh, around 15, which is cool. That's uh, I love to hear different kinds of stories like that. So where did that take you? And did you have people who invested in you to disciple you? Or eventually that takes you to the fire school of ministry. But how did you get there? Fill that in for us. Well, yeah, I guess um, around the time that I gave my life to Christ, we had this new youth pastor who'd started that that year, my 10th, 10th grade of high school. Uh, and, um, you know, on some level I was getting, you know, discipled, but maybe not like 100% personally by him, like one-on-one, but 
you know, going to the youth group and being a part of what was going on, attending everything that I could. And in, um, like in those high school years, I, I found out about like a Christian group at school. And so I would, you know, avail myself of that and make those friendships and stuff with people. Um, but as far as like anyone that I could pinpoint and say, this person was actively discipling me, I wouldn't have known what that is at the time. Yeah. So I, I'm probably going to lean more towards no, as far as like one-on-one or personal, but I was definitely in very healthy atmosphere for, you know, growing in my faith. You ended up feeling called to ministry apparently at some point. Right. So how'd that happen? Yeah. I just wanted to, I think I wanted to get into like youth ministry or something. Cause like I was a youth and so I didn't know anything else, but like I knew I love studying the word. I want to teach it to people. I want to make other people understand it and get it and whatever easier. Um, you know, some people would have told you I was like an evangelist, but I didn't really think I was, and I still don't. But I think that like, mm. I just look at, um, you know, there's this Psalm that says, you know, I teach transgressors the ways of the Lord. And so it's whether they already know they're a transgressor or not, but like somebody's not saved or somebody's a believer, um, like I, I wanted to make them get the word. And so I was always bringing like high school friends to youth group or, um, you know, trying to evangelize and stuff. And it felt to me like, why don't other people want to do this too? <laughs> like, yeah. was, you know, um, and so like, I didn't feel like I was evangelistic, but just more like uh, just in love with Jesus and wanting to share this with everybody possible. And, and then, you know, eventually some of the friends I made towards the end of high school were, were more Pentecostal charismatic type of people you know, the happy clappies and, <laughs> um, and just different, just, you know, yeah. you know, I thought Christians were weird in general, but like, then these guys were even weirder. And they, um, I love, like they, I'd rather be a happy clappy than a frozen chosen any day. Same here. Same here. <laughs> but like in those days, I didn't fully know the difference, like oh, yeah. what this denomination is or what that one believes or whatever. Like to me, it was like, why are there denominations? I don't get this. And I didn't, you know, I knew there was like Catholics, but what are we, you know, what am I, what is this church, you know? And eventually I found out we're Plymouth brethren, but anyway, long story made short for, for details that aren't necessary. Um, you know, I made these new friends and, and several of them would carpool and go to Brownsville in Pensacola. Right. Oh so yeah. I think like two, or three, two or three times there was like a caravan that took a, you know, trip down to Pensacola for a week or something. And maybe like at least one of them, perhaps, two of those trips, I was really kind of like jealous that I didn't get to go or nobody asked me or whatever. And, um, so those guys would always bring back buttloads of tapes, you know, VHS tapes in those days. Yeah. And I would borrow, I would borrow them. I'd, you know, copy them and have my own copies to watch and stuff. And I was just devouring this stuff. And it was like, unlike anything else I'd heard or, you know, listened to up to that point. And so I kind of decided, well, then, you know, I want to go to this Bible school if these are the teachers and, you know, these are the things they're teaching. And it's supposedly in those days, it was, it was non-denominational. So I didn't have to worry of like, if I, I was worried if I go to a Bible college, then it's geared towards like getting you fit for ministry in their denomination or something. And I was like, I viewed that as very limiting as an 18, 19 year old, because I didn't know what I wanted to do or necessarily, but get into ministry somehow. And 
Brownsville School of Ministry at the time was non-denominational in in theory. And then there was that whole split and then fire school started and whatever. So in the end, I went to fire uh, just from, you know, I could trace it back to people I met in high school who were on fire and, uh, you know, we'd get up at like 6.30 a.m. and go to go to a lecture room at a Bible college n- near my high school. And, um, you know, I didn't I didn't make it every day of the week. I was not disciplined in that regard, but they would be praying at 6.30 every morning for revival in our hometown, like what was going on down there in, uh, in Pensacola. And, uh, you know, so like when you're around people who are, um, let's call them on fire, you know, when you're around people that are on fire or more so than you are, like you catch that at least, yeah. or, or you could, or you could ignore it and try to stay frozen or whatever. But for me, it was like, okay, you know, I gotta go down this path and, you know, it eventually led me to go into that Bible college and, I'm finding that connection really intriguing because Ontario and Pensacola or Brownsville, they're not very close. Like that's pretty, that's fascinating that, that, uh, that, that drew you, but it was really, it sounds like the passion uh, for mm-hmm. the Lord was really, was really attractive to you. Right. I, I would say that even if at the time I might not have vocalized it that way. Sure. But it was, def- it was definitely the passion. It was definitely, um, you know, not just being an institution for getting you to, you know, know the Bible and become some kind of pastor or, you know, worship leader or whatever, you know, the few things that you can become if you go to you know, Bible school or something. Right. Oh man. The the few things that I thought or knew that there were to become if I go to Bible college at the time and, you know, their, their thing, their, you know, I don't want to say their shtick, but the revival, you know, being in that revival, being, you know, all about raising people up and sending them to the world as missionaries and stuff. Yeah. Um, that was, that was appealing to me, not the going and being a missionary thing. I never thought I would. Um, but I knew I'm going to get something out of this and come away and have a better idea of like whatever the next step for life is, you know, and, and yeah, I loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, So I think you're the second person I've had on the show who was impacted by the Brownsville revival um, specifically, which is interesting to me because I can see one of the things I love about doing this is it's a, you know, it's honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Right. So I'm trying to do the, what is it, what are people actually experiencing in the 21st century with God? And so um, I see these different movements like the campus campus crusade or crew, um, you know, different uh, camps people give their life to Christ at. Billy Graham comes up more often than I would have thought, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And and now Brownsville more than once. So I think that's fascinating kind of how, um, it just gives me a fascinating picture of what God's doing maybe, you know, or just kind of different, maybe different waves in, in the same ocean, which... I don't know. I'll have to think about that metaphor and see if I like it, but sure. um, anyway, that's uh so fascinating. All right. So you go to the fire school. What, uh, cause so this is kind of a charismatic movement, right? So how did that play into kind of your experience? Oh, uh, like the most obvious thing, you know, coming out of Plymouth brethren is, you know, the brethren don't believe in gifts of the spirit. Yeah. They don't believe in, um, tongues or the baptism or these things. And I remember, um, for like a year or two before finally going to Brownsville, cause like it was my last year of high school that I 
you know, was watching these videos and hanging out with, with my friend who I, I went down there with and then a year off after high school. And so he could, you know, graduate and whatever. It just worked out this way. So it was like two years of really being kind of surrounded by things related to gifts of the Holy spirit and um, things that were outside of my zone of understanding uh, in my home church. And so when I went, I remember having like, not an argument, but this kind of conversation with him one time, because I was tired of people praying for me to receive the gift of tongues and stuff. And was so like, um, I'm fine the way I am or, or whatever thoughts I had. And he said to me something like, well, you better let them know, you know, that since they've accepted you to come to their school, you better let them know you don't believe in speaking in tongues or, you know, something like that. That I'm yeah. like, oh no, what's like, I don't know. I, in hindsight, it's hard for me to really remember what it felt like. But I remember being scared of like, if I do go to a Pentecostal charismatic Bible college, like, is, will there be something wrong with me? Will I be deficient? Will there be something, you know, and nobody really ever put that feeling on me, which is important to note in hindsight, but like other brethren, other people would tell me that's what like Pentecostals believe and feel and think and whatever. So I had this kind of insecurity and fear, but, um, nobody cared. Nobody made a deal of it, you know? And, um, so when I went down in August, the end of August, 2001, um, you might remember if, if you've not been in a coma for the last 20 years that uh, 9-11 happened. In, really? Uh, the weeks, yeah, Sorry. the weeks that happened and uh, uh, the weeks that followed. And um, I remember it was September 9th that it was a Sunday night and at church, the, you know, the fire church, the, the preacher was sharing on, you know, actually, chapter two because that's all that Pentecost preaching right and um <laughs> is, is acts the and he you know he's sharing this thing about belief. <laughs> yeah acts chapter two right and um uh and he, and he said this thing like you know blood and vapors of smoke um and he goes you know can you imagine if our meetings had you know blood and smoke you know that'll make them talk about you then Ooh. and um and it was just this weird kind of wow I, I've seen that in the text before but never really kind of there, there's things we kind of turn off our brain when we read in the Bible because it just kind of, you know, we don't experience or whatever. And um, I just remember that message being powerful. And at the end, he asked if there's anyone who wanted to give their lives to Christ. A bunch of people went forward. And then if there's anyone there that wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I didn't raise my hand, I didn't do nothing. But like, I look around me and there's like 200 fingers pointing in my direction, like at me. You know, like I'm being singled out. So uh, I'm like, fine. I get up and I go forward. And like, you know, people pray for me. And that night I was like speaking in tongues for the first time and shocked at how easy it was. And it wasn't this complicated, you know, whatever these ideas I had up to that point. And then that was it, right? Well, the next day was the 10th. The Monday was a day off. And then, you know, the Tuesday was September 11th. And I remember getting to school early and you know the sanctuary was filled with people praying and interceding and i um i remember having no idea what to pray you know like that verse says you know like i don't know what we're supposed to do what's going on and in the early morning maybe people had heard the name bin laden but like it wasn't clear yet like who was doing what and right. why and whatever right and i just remember like it just flowed you know i had no idea what to pray but you know here now i okay i'll just like intercede and in tongues and whatever and um and so like in the first weeks of school, like it's already a radically different experience than anything I'd ever had growing up in uh, like a Plymouth Brethren atmosphere. It was definitely like a night and day difference from 
uh, you know, the type of Christianity I'd grown up with. And, um, yeah. Yeah. No, that is, that is a huge, a huge transition. So, um, I'm interested in the fact that you didn't, uh, you weren't afraid of it. Like that's, that's pretty cool. Or you were a little bit, but then you were like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to go anyway. And that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I had misgivings and misconceptions. Sure. Right. Um, that in, that in hindsight are just silly to me, but like meeting, you know, actually interacting with people and knowing them and having, you know, having, you know, a few friends in my life and spending a lot of time in prayer with people, um, that helped make it not a matter of denominations and doctrines and whatever, but like knowing people and seeing how they were living their lives. But like, it took a while for some things to, to change my thinking. And, you know, you, you pack up and you go to another country because people, you yeah. might already know this, but like Canada is a different country than really? the United States. We just think of it as so, like the 51st state. We're like, whatever. Yeah. I, I've noticed. I've noticed people say that. <laughs> and Mexico. <laughs> and, um, but like, you know, but you pack up and you go to another country for another denomination or another flavor of like Christianity, like that Bible school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the culture, you know, like Pensacola, Florida, for all intents and purposes is Alabama. Yeah. Know? So to go from like Ontario to Alabama, you know, um, I had more culture shock that first month in Alabama than I ever did in Europe or South America. Cause I, I wasn't anticipating it, wasn't expecting it. I didn't realize just how different our cultures are. And then, uh, you know, 9-11 of all things happening in those first weeks of, you know, I'm living on my own. I've gone away to another country, another, you know, yeah. Bible school and stuff. Um, so there's all these things where that was like setting a precedent for adulthood, you know? Yeah. So that can be very disorienting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So you're, so you're kind of learning there. You're, you're figuring it out. So did that happen... So you, like you spoke in tongues within the first month. Is that what you said? Like that's just. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. September 9th. You're like, okay. Easy to remember because of, you know, the events that week. Of course. But it's just, it's kind of interesting that that was like a early experience. It didn't take very long for you to, right. uh, to kind of dive in. Okay. What, so obviously if you went there, like you, you were kind of in on the, on kind of the movement and, um, you know, what, what God was doing there. What, what is something that you learned that maybe, and, and maybe tongues is it, that's okay if it is, but that maybe other people don't know, just kind of looking from the outside. Cause revival gets a little bit, um, scary. Well, I went when it was over or, or, you know, afterwards like the split had happened. Yeah. I, I believe it was like over. Um, but you know, when you're there, uh, people who were going there, you know, didn't feel that way. But, um, as far as like, you know, when the school had started, that split had happened after, you know, most people agreed or believed it was, it had ended. And so I felt like I was there more for like the aftermath of it than the actual revival. Oh, but there's plenty, like I still, you know, because it was so, so soon after it had, you know, kind of waned or whatever, I, I believe and feel like I got a lot of, of the benefit or the, you know, I don't know, anointing or some kind of thing from it. Like there's things I've unlearned too. I'm not, you know, I didn't just, you know, take everything I've I yeah. got out of that experience. But um, I think one of the things that it used to kind of bug me a little bit that like outsiders would say, and I would 
feel like, well, that's definitely not true. I can vouch otherwise was, you know, some of the flakier manifestation nonsense or whatever, you know, that like now we would say like a viral video or something out of context that becomes, you know, well-known, um, you know, little things like, like that. But, um, I, I probably, you know, like one of the things I've unlearned is I probably got really legalistic from this atmosphere where there's a strong desire for personal holiness and corporate holiness. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, things that I was like scared, I'm going to get myself kicked out of school or something. But like in hindsight, you know, the pastoral leaders would never have cared about. But like, you know, as a young sheep with other dumb sheep, you kind of come <laughs> up with on your own, you know, and yep. uh, assume everybody lives the same way and whatever. Um, but I remember like in my second semester being so scared I was going to be kicked out of school and not because anyone in leadership or anything made me feel that way. And in hindsight, I see the, how tender my conscience got in, in that type of atmosphere. And so, you know, I, whatever kind of accusations I might hear about them not being focused on like Jesus or the cross or things like that are, you know, they were a bit laughable to me whenever I'd hear those things Yeah, because I'm like, they have a strong focus on these things, you know? Right. So much so that like the, the counter effect is some, you know, legalism. Right. Yeah. And you know what? I'm not even convinced that usually the people who say, oh, you have to focus on the cross uh, are way too focused on sin, to to be honest. Like, you know, um, that our focus shouldn't be on sin. It should be on Jesus and, and on the freedom that he's given Amen. us. Uh, so that's that's how I feel about it. But yeah, interesting. I, I also have this sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word, like interesting relationship with the idea of having a sensitivity toward holiness. Like I think Obviously, it's important. It it is good, and there's there's seasons when we go through that, and it's good for us to make those decisions where we go, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do these things. I one time destroyed all of my secular music, you know, like because we had to, yeah, get rid of that. Uh, but now, so I, I. Uh, yeah, right, because because that was sort of how I felt, and it was a good thing for me to decide, hey, I I am gonna follow Jesus, and I really need to just only have those influences right now. Later, as a more mature person it made sense to, I brought some of that back. Right. Um, and I don't think that's backsliding. I think that's maturity. I think there's a difference. Sure. Um, and so that I agree. Yeah. So like, I, I feel the same way when I, I am glad as a 16 year old or whatever, that I got rid of all my secular music. Um, and I, you know, I don't necessarily recommend you get saved. You have to get rid of your music, but like, I know how immature I was and what influence some of my, you know, negative music was when I, um, got saved. And I remember when I was 16, the second Foo Fighters album came out and they were playing in, they were playing in Toronto and I had not yet really thought of getting rid of my secular music yet. But a couple of friends of mine and I, we went and saw uh, Foo Fighters, this band called Talk Show, who were Stone Temple Pilots, but the singer was in rehab. And so they got a new singer and changed their name or whatever. Uh, and then these two other Canadian bands, Treble Charger and Rusty. But particularly, I went to see Foo Fighters, right? And I remember, you know, I'm six months old in the Lord. We took a ride down with my friend's dad, and he just picked on me and was like, you know, trying to get a reaction out of me and all this kind of stuff. The whole ride there, just making fun of the Bible, making fun of, you know, Jesus and stuff, and like, you know, um, thinking I'm some kind of fool and whatever. So while we're there at the, I remember at the concert having this conviction hit me, like I shouldn't be here. 
you know, like this is not the type of place I should be. And <laughs> I had this like worry that what if like the rapture happens today, right now? Right. And for like all of eternity, my story is I was at a Foo Fighters concert when it happened. Right. It, which is, you're laughing and it is laughable. Now. Because I've had those because, thoughts. I've done that too. Yeah. yeah. And so I was, you know, 16, immature and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and this is, you know, like 10,000 people crammed into like an old airport or whatever the, the place was. Uh, or, you know, maybe the audience was bigger. I don't know. But I mean, it was a not a Christian concert where there's like hundreds of people, but like a, a real concert. <laughs> right. you know? and, um, and But not like a stadium. Uh, and, uh, and in hindsight, that my maturity level was such that that's not a place I really should have been. But now... You know, I've I've got notifications on Facebook. The instant those guys come to Peru again, I'm gonna go. <laughs> you know, right. I mean? like it's a little bit different now at my my age and my maturity and whatever. So yeah, and well, I, I think I think so. I love to talk about the spiritual journey. I think that's an important point, right? Like, it's okay. So we have to be um, sensitive for people who are have those sensitive consciences and that they're in that season and they need to. They need to make those decisions to follow the Lord in certain ways and not be necessarily limited for them um, by them as well ourselves because we may be in a different place and it might be okay. Like Paul could eat the meat from offered to idols, right? Go and go, I don't, that's nothing, right? Not everybody could do that. And I think we have to, we have to just take that into account. So sometimes people struggle with it. Um, all right. So that's, that's really fascinating. Thanks for going into some of that because I agree and I'm I'm just really interested in sort of how things like um, the effects of the of Brownsville did um, uh, influence people. So that that was it's interesting to hear that from you. Um, incidentally, I'm just going to throw this in there. So, talking about manifestations and things like that, my my favorite um, my favorite thing that I learned in seminary before I when I went to Trinity did a church history class. And we read uh, Jonathan Edwards' book on revival, which of all people, you would think Jonathan Edwards, he's like a Puritan and he's very, you know, would be very reformed and very buttoned down, you would think. And he had people like barking at his things and falling down at his preaching, things like that. And uh, people asked him to write about it. He wrote about it. And his his thought was uh, basically, um, was, hey, it might be the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not going to stop it, <laughs> you know, which I thought was really right. a fascinating response from a Puritan. So, right. This book I just showed you, I, I know this is audio and people aren't going to listen. It's like the old copy of Dr. Brown's from Holy Laughter to Holy Fire book. Yeah. Which I guess he wrote, he wrote and published right before, like he had even heard about the revival. And he's got this section on those non signs mm -hmm. of Jonathan Edwards. I think there's like nine of them. And, um, you know, like this happening is not evidence the Holy Spirit is here, nor is it evidence that it's not, like that he's not. Like I forget the exact wording of them. I, I just whipped this off my shelf now, right? Yeah. But um, but you know, like you look at the fruit and you look at stuff like that. And I'm I'm the type of person who, yeah, um, non-signs he called them, right? Uh, yeah. As far as physical manifest physical manifestations were one of the key ones. I I've like I've always been comfortable like i don't care when manifestations happen because i had that laid in me that they're not a sign in and of themselves necessarily right like somebody could come here and shake bake and rattle and roll and then go home and they're still like living in sin or something 
So that's, you know, not the, the, uh, the outward that I'm going to look for. And, um, right. You know, funny thing about manifestations, uh, two things, if you'll indulge me. Sure. One was that, that friend of mine, that charismatic who, um, you know, when I was like, not, um, Pentecost or whatever yet, like he used to make up like jokes to, to, to try to like, you know, knock me off my stride and put some, you know, friendly fear in me about like what fire was going to be like. And he tried telling me there would be this manifestation class where they teach you how to manifest. And that, you know, on command, if somebody came up to you in a service and said manifest that you could, and I'm like, well, then I'm going to fail that class. Like, I just yeah. remember being like, and it, and it was a joke. He's trying to, you know, get me fearful that, you know, something will happen that won't and whatever. Uh, and then the other thing is um, with manifestations, um, you know, I, I don't know how many people I've prayed for in altar settings where nothing happens, you know, they don't fall. And I remember one time standing in, uh, you know, in the front with leaders or whatever was going on. And um, I'm praying for people and boom, you know, I'm done praying for them and next person. And I watched this lady say like to this other lady, no, nothing happens when he prays, go over here. And they went to like somebody else who, you know, everybody was like shaking. And I was like, oh, well, weird. what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Right. You know, like, like, like that, that bothered me because, you know, I was more insecure about it then than now. And um, so I, you know, I'd be in meetings where they say like, this guy will, you know, catch for you. And for the listener who doesn't know what a catcher is, that's, <laughs> That's where it's like a type of usher or whatever, where they're behind the person that you're praying for just in case they fall down or they fall down in their belly or their bum or whatever is showing and they might have a blanket to cover them or whatever. And I would say like, no, nah, I don't need any catchers. People don't really, you know, nothing really happens when I pray for people. And I didn't mean that in like a self-doubt kind of way or anything. I was just more like, you know, there's just so few people, you know, you, maybe you go where you, you see the need more than being near me. And I kid you not, Eric, Every single person, they would just drop like potatoes, um, you know, and, and, and um, you know, like I'm like hugging, like if it's a guy, like I'm kind of like hugging him before he falls down to the ground and, you know, laying him down gently and stuff. And I'm like, okay, God, like what's, <laughs> I don't get it. You know, like normally nothing happens. And then now like everything is happening. Yeah. And, uh, what do like, you make of that? Well, I, I think God doesn't have a box that he works in and, you know, he doesn't do things to like our expectations in our minds because i remember one time being at brownsville on a friday night to hear tommy tenney speak and he was um at the end you know he's going around laying hands on people praying for people and i'm watching everyone just fall to the ground and whatever and so you know there's this moment when he's coming my way and lays hands on my head or whatever and 30 seconds go by and then he moves on and i'm standing there and i remember feeling like you know because i'm like 20 21 or whatever still oh man that sucked you know like what a ripoff. Nothing happened to me and everybody else has fallen and shaking and it looks like they're having a good time. So I turn around and then like, I don't know, I walk by like six or seven people. And as soon as I get like near them, each one of them just falls to the floor and I'm not feeling anything. There's no whatever going on. And I'm like, you know, not affected by whatever's affecting them, even though it's like when they're in my vicinity, it's, so like I, I learned early on that this stuff doesn't mean, you know, something's happening for someone, you know, if it, if it, you know, it's not impacting them unless they manifest or look a certain way or behave a certain way or whatever, nor does somebody, maybe if it doesn't happen to them, you know, it doesn't mean God didn't do something mighty and powerful inside them. So, uh, right. 
anyway, that's that's just to tag on your thing about Jonathan Edwards. And what yeah, you didn't expect him. Yeah, that's I, where that totally fascinated happen. me. Here's what I want to take from that, and I just want to apply this, guys. So, uh, here's the thing: a lot of us are um, perhaps more distant from the charismatic movement, groups, churches. Um, because we look at that and we see physical manifestations and we're afraid. Uh, here's the thing. Don't be afraid. Like God is bigger. God is, um, and, and there, there, I love Richard Foster's book. I'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes about, um, uh, I forget what it's called, even streams. Like he has this idea of streams, right? Uh, and charismatic is one of them. And so don't like, don't be afraid to explore it. Take your relationship with God there and listen. And see what happens. Observe. Uh, you don't have to fall down. You don't have to do do whatever. But ask God if He might be calling you into something like that, uh, or into a, a different kind of experience. It's okay. It's okay. And you don't have to be um, afraid. Anyway, I just wanted to ca- I wanted to call out that fear because I think so many of us miss something because we're afraid. Hmm. Um, Giver. Yeah. So. So where'd you go? So you eventually you ended up, you started to tell us the story. You ended up going to Amsterdam, right? And that, yeah. So you, Rotterdam. Rotterdam. So you wanted to be a missionary. How did you make that decision? And then tell us that story. So, uh, in my second semester, there was a group of fire grads who went and formed a base in Holland and they came back at least once that semester to basically share all the fruit, share everything they were seeing go going on you know they're going into high schools and like having assemblies and preaching the gospel and seeing people get saved and um you know they mentioned how they needed people to come and make disciples you know they 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 had no problem with like the evangelism and people who were called to evangelize and stuff but they needed you know people to plant and uh water you know what was planted and stuff and so i remember going up and talking to the guy uh his name is greg montella he's actually somebody you ought to interview on your podcast. I'll, I'll try to hook you guys up. That'd be great. Uh, and he, uh, he's, he's basically doing like the equivalent of like 50 missionaries with all the things he does. But anyway, this is about me. And, um, <laughs> the, the, so he had this team there and they were, you know, I, I stayed in touch with him. I, I, I talked to him every time he was in town about what, whatever was going on in Holland. And this is before social media. This is before, you know, I knew what a blog was or things. So, Really, you hear like minimally whatever's going on around the world, unless you're on someone's newsletter list or whatever in those days. Oh, yeah. Back in the and, day, wasn't that crazy? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. In hindsight, it's so um, it took me like three years after that before I finally set foot over there because I, you know, I finished school uh, and then uh, fire changed from two years to three years. And I went and started my third year, but never finished it. Just graduated the two year diploma thing. Well, I remember. Um, I went over there to do an internship in like spring of 2005. And uh, so like I came back to Canada, raised money and became, you know, affiliated with fire and a thing in Canada called Calvary International Canada for my support raising and stuff. And, uh, you know, probably a year after I'd left uh, that trip, uh, I'd moved back as a missionary and I was, I was there for about a year and a half. But when I first moved there, I thought, oh, we're going to bring revival. We're going to, you know, we're going to see this, you know, Jesus revolution and and things that like we'd learned in Bible school, like whether arrogantly or naively, you know, as a young 
person, like fresh out of Bible school, like that's the kind of vision and expectation I had for what I'm going to go do there. And, um, and obviously it didn't happen or at least, you know, whatever, you know, God's doing in that nation is not like because of me or something, you know? And, um, yeah, there's an interesting mix there, isn't there? Both naivete and, uh, and arrogance, which is sort of, sort of the blessing of the young, I think. Yeah. And, um, and in hindsight, you know, as a young missionary, it was hard to raise support. So I, you know, I do floors with, um, my leader, he would take me with him because his full-time job was, uh, doing like wood floors. And, um, so I spend a lot of time and I would say like, you know, that time was discipling for me and spending time, Mm. uh, doing a trade, doing a, you know, um, appreciating, uh, aspects of ministry where people are full-time and don't, you know, they're not bivocational and don't need to tent make and whatever. Uh, Cause just that kind of physical labor was not, it was not my cup of tea if it didn't have to be. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I, but I did like having money because I like food and shelter and stuff. <laughs> right. And, um, Me too. <laughs> so anyway, the, he had a cafe he had opened in a Muslim neighborhood. And uh, the idea was to be open a few nights of the week and just, uh, there was, you know, board games, there was couches and, uh, you know, uh, like a fake bar, like a non-alcoholic type of bar. <laughs> right. And, um, and we were, you know, we had very few volunteers, so we were only open a few nights of the week. And then, um, that kind of transitioned into a more of like a house of prayer type of ministry where we would, you know, be doing prayer events and stuff like that all the time. But for various reasons, I didn't, um, you know, I, I didn't last, I think I maybe spent a year there and, uh, around the t- that time. I don't know if you want me to go into it or not, but that's when I... Well, what I'm interested in is, because I know that you had a... Um, I mean, maybe this wasn't a f- like a full-scale dark night of the soul. I guess you can tell me what that was okay. like. But uh, I know it was kind of discouraging to you. And so you kind of had to go wrestle with, God, what are you doing here? What am I... Where are you sure. actually taking me? So tell us kind of that aspect of the story. Well, I feel like I've had a few of those, but the the one that would be for that season or that aspect of my ministry was, um, you know, one, there was, there was wondering if I had missed God and just presumptively went over to the Netherlands that second time or not, um, in, in light of how, like, you know, previously that other team packed up and moved to the States and stuff. I felt like, what if, what if I wasn't really supposed to come? Maybe that's why, uh, you know, the, the, the fruit looks the way it does or the things are difficult and don't seem to you know, be improving or uh, there's all sorts of questions I had like Mm. that, but I went back to the, I went back to Canada. Um, every fall fire has like a, uh, mission conference. So I'd gone to that in, in North Carolina, I went back to Canada and was just not in a position to head back over to the Netherlands yet. I, I didn't do anything, you know, I didn't raise any new support or whatever. And, and it's, you know, costly to live in Europe. And so I remember my pastor was on a trip to Peru and this is a, you know, I, I long since left the, the Brethren Church. This is a, like a non-denominational charismatic church I've been a part of for a few years now. So he's on a trip to Peru. He comes back. Uh, I meet with him and he's asking me about how I'm doing in Holland. You know, what's my life like? What's my week like? Um, any girls, whatever. And, uh, and then when I'm done, he just kind of tells me, you don't, you don't believe what you're telling me, Steve. And I was like, what do you mean? What did I say that you saw through? Or, you know, like, what yeah. am I... What what's the old people hack that you've got that you've you've caught something that I don't realize I'm doing or whatever I didn't say it that way but you, anyway and um 
he's like, well, is like something wrong or are you having a hard time over there? Is, is, uh, or do you enjoy what you're doing or whatever? And so I told him like, okay. So I, then I told him honestly how things were going. I told him some of the fights I had with my leader. I told him some of the weekly or monthly kind of, you know, feelings of not accomplishing anything, not producing any fruit, whatever. And so he recommended postponing my trip back until after I could go on a trip with him to Peru, which I did. And then, uh, that trip was six weeks the next spring. And I came with him. He was there the first 10 days and uh, he hooked me up with different places he was preaching in where every one of them, their youth group invited me to come, you know, speak to their youth or whatever. And, but when I left his office that day, I remember walking down the hall from his office feeling like Peru is the next place I'm going to live, you know? And so having that thing to focus on Mm -hmm. helped get through that dark night of the soul kind of like, that discouragement and that phase or, you know, those feelings like, you know, maybe Holland was a mistake or maybe I'm failing at it or whatever. It was easier to hang on and not sink because I had this focus. Okay. Well, I've got this next thing. We'll see. I've got this other thing to, and, and, you know, I talked to the director of my mission agency and talked to the leader in Holland. And I remember the mission director saying, you know, don't tell anyone that what you just told me. Don't tell people you feel that Peru is the next place you're going to live. Just in case you go down there and you hate it and, you know, you're embarrassed. And yeah. So I was like, yeah, okay. But like, you know, I, and, you know, I've been here 10 years now and I, I didn't anticipate going, coming down here, uh, being here that long. I, for me, long term was like three years. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> short term is like six months or something. Yeah. Know? But, um, Yeah. Yeah, so you've been there a while. How did you get into, because uh, I know you help authors, you mentioned that earlier. How did you get into that? Writing on my own. Yeah, so you've like, written some books. Yeah, well, before going to Holland, I had started a blog. And in those days, it was after my mom had been healed of uh, fibromyalgia. I think I told you when we talked the other day. Yeah. Um, I won't go into that if you don't need me to, but long story made short. She got healed fibromyalgia at a you know charismatic church outside of town, and I was encountering a lot of people who were just kind of like against it or trying to find reasons it didn't happen. So I had written a testimony email to a bunch of people, uh, got some positive and some negative response, and I took that text and made like the first blog post. And for a while, I was just interested in trying to kind of persuade the reader about healing, you know, and just charismatic things in general but particularly healing. And um, that semester I'd gone back to fire and we would go witnessing on the streets of Charlotte, uptown Charlotte on Saturday nights. And I, you know, we were just looking for people to heal and I would go write the testimonies about it on my blog. And so this mixture of testimonies and um, defending, you know, apologetics and, you know, gradually shied away from that and wrote about more of a variety of things, but I've always been writing and writing and putting thoughts out there and, getting like a feedback loop going where I'm learning from my readers what they're latching onto, what they're benefiting from, what impact what I have to say is making. So a long time of doing this, uh, you know, goes by. And then in the 2007 or so, I started a podcast and same thing. I'm, um, there's, you know, writing is a, is a lot different than sharing your thoughts in audio, but there's a lot of overlap, a lot of things that, that they, they complement. Well, one complements the other. Yeah. And so I'd been, you know, podcasting and stuff and I would just notice and pay attention to what was coming up all the time. 
and what was working. And then from there, you know, I, I put out my first book and it was on healing. And then uh, I did another one on faith, another one on, you know, kind of discipleship and personal growth. But eventually I did one on speaking in tongues. And in both cases with healing and tongues, it was like these topics where having grown up Plymouth Brethren and knowing perceptions and, um, you know, misconceptions, and then, you know, going to a place like fire and just changing my trajectory and becoming, you know, more charismatic and stuff. I felt like I had this take on things that I could, you know, put into a book and it would work, you know, for people looking for answers for some of these things. And yeah, so both books are this idea of lies people believe about this, that, and the other. So six lies people believe about divine healing and nine lies people believe about speaking in tongues and the tongues one. Eventually um, I got approached by a publisher who wanted to re-release it and uh, thought with the right marketing and stuff, it could do really well. So, you know, I gave into that and um, signed it over and, but I'd keep writing, keep blogging, uh, keep working on marketing my books. I've got like seven unfinished manuscripts on the go on my own computer. Wow. But I would, I, I would have people asking me for help with things all the time that I had done, you know, whether their podcast, whether their books, you know, Steve, can you help me format my book into ebook? Can you read my manuscript? What do you, you know, I'd get people asking me. So that helped narrow and refine. Okay. So what can I do with this skill and talent? And so I kind of went down that road, but then it wasn't until maybe two years ago that I really decided to totally give it a shot. And um, I got like some business coaching and joined a, a really expensive mastermind and learned, um, you know, like how to handle sales calls and how to present my offer and stuff like that. So <clears throat> I looked at it uh, and there's way more detail to it than, than perhaps is a good idea to share publicly. But uh, long story made short, my wife and I were just in dire straits and in a situation a bit of a crisis where we didn't want to try to raise more support. We were just, we were just done with the this mission system where you, mm. you raise money and then you, you got to convince people you're producing fruit. You got to show, yeah. uh, you got to be writing a newsletter every month. You got to be doing all these things to barely get by. Um, you know, you're, you're overworked, but not making any donations or whatever. So hard. And, um, when this particular crisis came our way, and we were kind of discussing it with our leaders, like, do we want to pack up and go to Canada and try to raise support to fix this? And I just said, no, no, I'm done. I, uh, I can't do this. For me, it's like tent making or nothing. And uh, if the tent making doesn't work, we'll give up and whatever, move to Canada, get a job or something. But if I'm going to tent make and use my skills and talents, then it's with writing. And so I just went about a lot of what I was learning from, you know, my mentors and my coach and um, how to get, how to attract clients to what you offer and, you know, how to handle prospecting, how to handle when they, you get them on a call with you and you're discussing whether you can do for them what you're offering, right? Uh, how to, how to stick by, stick by your price and not be, you know, like this was a big thing um, to be honest with you. And it might be, conversation uh wealth and money and finances and you know you go from being broke as a missionary and barely getting by and you know the book sales help they're great you know when you're promoting them well uh but like to turn around you know i had crowdfunding i did crowdfunding for both my daughter's 
hospital, you know, like their births. And so to go from like the kind of money I was needing to pay the hospital to like charging that kind of money to people to help them write their books and stuff, that that required a lot of mindset help, you know, and being around right. other people who for them it's nothing and they they charge 10 and 15k for consulting they do and stuff. Um to mention what I mentioned earlier about being around people who are on fire, there was that type of experience for me. Mm, yeah. Uh, they called it normalization. You know, you get around people who are doing what you want to be doing and then it helps bring you up to that level to do it. And so um, when I got through that and I, and I'm still going through it, I'm still, you know, uh, there's still mindset things to recalibrate. When I got through that I, I don't know how to phrase it any any differently than I already have the the mentality and not being afraid of charging you know they call it charging what you're worth you know if I'm going right. to do all this work for someone then this is the amount I want for it not be guilt tripped because it's for the kingdom you know that my right. my my price my payment is eternal reward right yeah but I got two I got two daughters and I've got rent and uh, things today to pay for you know so right my kids um, cannot eat a crown in the in the mythical future right whenever wherever that is yeah so that's probably another podcast conversation it is but we should have that one i love that so go ahead i would love to if you'll have me you know i'm looking at the clock i know i've taken up no it's been fun actually i love it so see people can find you at stevebremner.com and and uh so if you're an author that's definitely check it out steve has some services but uh, if you're interested in his work and maybe like we said earlier, some, um, curious about some your books, you know, about some more charismatic ideas, maybe go check him out. So that would be good. Yeah. Steve, those are all on Amazon. Of course. Perfect. Well. I've got links in the show notes at halfway there podcast.com. Steve, anything you want to leave us with? And this isn't, you know, a theme or something we've discussed the whole time, but go for it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, imperfect action is always better than no action at all you know and um god's telling you to do something speaking something to you packing up to move or to write a book or to do whatever it is he's telling you to do just you know go do it and not make excuses you don't you don't need to pray about something if Mm. if 10 seconds ago you told me god told you and then you don't need to pray about it you already know he's telling you to do something just do it you know and not make excuses for it you don't regret when you when you go for it so 100 percent. hey that's why we're both podcasters right because we just went and did it or our authors absolutely i agree with that steve thanks for being here and sharing a little bit of your story i appreciate it i appreciate you having me